Robinson Crusoe, Part 12. This recording, copyright Candlelight Stories, Inc., available at candlelightstories.com. Narrated by Alessandro Chima. A Candlelight Stories audio production. The Life and Strange, Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe of York, Mariner by Daniel Defoe Besides this, I kept myself, as I said, more retired than ever, and seldom went from my cell other than upon my constant employment, namely, to milk my she-goats, and manage my little flock in the wood, which, as it was quite on the other part of the island, was quite out of danger. For certain it is that these savage people, who sometimes haunted this island, never came with any thoughts of finding anything here, and consequently never wandered off from the coast. And I doubt not, but they might have been several times on shore after my apprehensions of them had made me cautious, as well as before. And indeed, I looked back with some horror upon the thoughts of what my condition would have been if I had chopped upon them, and been discovered when naked and unarmed, except with my gun, and that loaded often only with small shot. I walked everywhere, peeping and peeping about the island, to see what I could get. What a surprise should I have been in, if, when I discovered the print of a man's foot, I had instead of that seen fifteen or twenty savages, and found them pursuing me, and by the swiftness of their running, no possibility of my escaping them. The thoughts of this sometimes sunk my very soul within me, and distressed my mind so much that I could not soon recover it. I confess that these anxieties, these constant dangers I lived in, and the concern that was now upon me put an end to all invention, and to all the contrivances that I had laid for my future accommodations and conveniences. I had the care of my safety more now upon my hands than that of my food. I cared not to drive a nail or chop a stick of wood now, for fear the noise I should make should be heard. Much less would I fire a gun for the same reason. And above all, I was intolerably uneasy at making any fire, lest the smoke which is visible at a great distance in the day should betray me. And for this reason I removed that part of my business which required fire, such as burning of pots and pipes, etc., into my new apartment in the woods, where, after I had been some time, I found, to my unspeakable consolation, a mere natural cave in the earth which went in a vast way, and where, I dare say, no savage, had he been at the mouth of it, would be so hardy as to venture in, nor indeed would any man else, but one who, like me, wanted nothing so much as a safe retreat." The mouth of this hollow was at the bottom of a great rock, where, by mere accident, I would say, if I did not see an abundant reason to ascribe all such things now to Providence, I was cutting down some thick branches of trees to make charcoal, and before I go on I must observe the reason of my making this charcoal, which was thus. I was afraid of making a smoke about my habitation, as I said before, and yet I could not live there without baking my bread, cooking my meat, etc., so I contrived to burn some wood here, as I had seen done in England, under the turf, till it became chark or dark coal, and then, putting the fire out, I preserved the coal to carry home, and perform the other services which fire was wanting for at home, without danger of smoke. But this is by the by. While I was cutting down some wood here, I perceived that behind a very thick branch of low brushwood or underwood there was a kind of hollow place. I was curious to look into it, and getting with difficulty into the mouth of it, I found it was pretty large, that is to say, sufficient for me to stand upright in it, and perhaps another with me. But I must confess to you, I made more haste out than I did in. 
when looking farther into the place which was perfectly dark, I saw two broad shining eyes of some creature, whether devil or man I knew not, which twinkled like two stars, the dim light from the cave's mouth shining directly in and making the reflection. However, after some pause I recovered myself, and began to call myself a thousand fools, and tell myself that he that was afraid to see the devil was not fit to live twenty years in an island all alone, and that I durst to believe there was nothing in this cave that was more frightful than myself. Upon this, plucking up my courage, I took up a great firebrand, and in I rushed again with the stick flaming in my hand. I had not gone three steps in, but I was almost as much frighted as I was before, for I heard a very loud sigh, like that of a man in some pain, and it was followed by a broken noise, as if of words hath expressed, and then a deep sigh again. I stepped back, and was indeed struck with such a surprise that it put me into a cold sweat, and if I had had a hat on my head, I will not answer for it that my hair might not have lifted it off. But still, plucking up my spirits as well as I could, and encouraging myself a little, with considering that the power and presence of God was everywhere, and was able to protect me, upon this I stepped forward again, and by the light of my firebrand, holding it up a little over my head, I saw, lying on the ground, a most monstrous, frightful old he-goat, just making his will, as we say, and gasping for life, and dying, indeed, of mere old age." I stirred him a little to see if I could get him out, and he essayed to get up, but was not able to raise himself, and I thought with myself he might even lie there, for he had frighted me so he would certainly fright any of the savages if any of them should be so hardy as to come in there while he had any life in him. I was now recovered from my surprise and began to look around me. When I found the cave was but very small, that is to say, it might be about twelve foot over, but in no manner of shape, either round or square, no hands ever having been employed in making it, but those of mere nature. I observed also that there was a place at the farther side of it that went in farther, but was so low that it required me to creep upon my hands and knees to go into it, and whither I went I know not, so having no candle, I gave it over for some time, but resolved to come again the next day provided with candles and a tinder-box, which I had made of the lock of one of the muskets, with some wild fire in the pan. Accordingly, the next day I came provided with six large candles of my own making, for I made very good candles now of goat's tallow, and going into this low place I was obliged to creep upon all fours, as I have said, almost ten yards, which, by the way, I thought was a venture bold enough, considering that I knew not how far it might go, nor what was beyond it. When I was got through the strait, I found the roof rose higher up, I believe near twenty foot, but never was such a glorious sight seen in the island, I dare say, as it was, to look round the side and roof of this vault or cave. The walls reflected an hundred thousand lights to me from my two candles. What it was in the rock, whether diamonds or any other precious stones or gold, which I rather suppose it to be, I knew not. The place I was in was a most delightful cavity or grotto of its kind, as could be expected, though perfectly dark. The floor was dry and level, and had a sort of small loose gravel upon it, so that there was no nauseous or venomous creature to be seen, neither was there any damp or wet on the sides or roof. The only difficulty in it was the entrance, which, however, as it was a place of security, and such a retreat as I wanted, I thought that was a convenience, so that I was really rejoiced at the discovery, and resolved without any delay to bring some of those things which I was most anxious about to this place, particularly 
I resolved to bring hither my magazine of powder and all my spare arms, namely two fowling pieces, for I had three in all, and three muskets, for of them I had eight in all. So I kept at my castle only five, which stood ready mounted like pieces of cannon on my outmost fence, and were ready also to take out upon any expedition. Upon this occasion of removing my ammunition, I took occasion to open the barrel of powder which I took up out of the sea and which had been wet, and I found that the water had penetrated about three or four inches into the powder on every side, which, caking and growing hard, had preserved the inside like a kernel in a shell, so that I had near sixty pound of very good powder in the centre of the cask, and this was an agreeable discovery to me at that time. So I carried all away thither, never keeping above two or three pound of powder with me in my castle, for fear of a surprise of any kind. I also carried thither all the lead I had left for bullets. I fancied myself now, like one of the ancient giants, which are said to live in caves and holes in the rocks, where none could come at them, for I persuaded myself while I was here if five hundred savages were to hunt me, they could never find me out, or if they did, they would not venture to attack me here. The old goat, whom I found expiring, died in the mouth of the cave the next day after I made this discovery, and I found it much easier to dig a great hole there and throw him in and cover him with earth than to drag him out, so I interred him there to prevent offence to my nose. I was now in my twenty-third year of residence in this island, and was so naturalized to the place and to the manner of living, that could I have but enjoyed the certainty that no savages would come to the place to disturb me, I could have been content to have capitulated for spending the rest of my time there, even to the last moment, till I had laid me down and died, like the old goat in the cave. I had also arrived to some little diversions and amusements, which made the time pass more pleasantly with me a great deal than it did before, as first I had taught my Paul, as I noted before, to speak. And he did it so familiarly, and talked so articulately and plain, that it was very pleasant to me, and he lived with me no less than six and twenty years. How long he might live afterwards I knew not, though I know they have a notion in the Brazils that they live a hundred years. Perhaps poor Paul may be alive there still, calling after poor Robinson Crusoe to this day. I wish no Englishman the ill luck to come there and hear him, but if he did, he would certainly believe it was the devil. My dog was a very pleasant and loving companion to me for no less than sixteen years of my time, and then died of mere old age. As for my cats, they multiplied, as I have observed, to that degree that I was obliged to shoot several of them at first to keep them from devouring me and all I had, but at length, when the two old ones I brought with me were gone, and after some time continually driving them from me, and letting them have no provision with me, they all ran wild into the woods, except two or three favorites which I kept tame, and whose young, when they had any, I always drowned, and these were part of my family. Besides these, I always kept two or three household kids about me, which I taught to feed out of my hand. And I had also more parrots, which talked pretty well, and would all call Robinson Crusoe, but none like my first. Nor, indeed, did I take the pains with any of them that I had done with him. I had also several tame sea-fowls, whose names I know not, which I caught up on the shore and cut their wings. And the little stakes, which I had planted before my castle wall, being now grown up to a good thick grove, these fowls all lived among these low trees, and bred there, which was very agreeable to me, so that, as I said above, I began to be very well contented with the life I led, if it might but have been secured from the dread of the savages. But it was otherwise directed. 
and it may not be amiss for all people who shall meet with my story to make this just observation from it, namely, how frequently in the course of our lives the evil which in itself we seek most to shun, and which when we are fallen into is the most dreadful to us, is oftentimes the very means or door of our deliverance, by which alone we can be raised again from the affliction we are fallen into. I could give many examples of this in the course of my unaccountable life, but in nothing was it more particularly remarkable than in the circumstances of my last two years of solitary residence in this island. It was now the month of December, as I said above, in my twenty-third year, and this, being the southern solstice, for winter I cannot call it, was the particular time of my harvest, and required my being pretty much abroad in the fields, when going out pretty early in the morning, even before it was thorough daylight, I was surprised with seeing a light of some fire upon the shore, at a distance from me of about two miles, towards the end of the island, where I had observed some savages had been before, but not on the other side, but to my great affliction it was on my side of the island. I was indeed terribly surprised at the sight, and stepped short within my grove, not daring to go out lest I might be surprised, and yet I had no more peace within from the apprehensions I had that if these savages in rambling over the island should find my corn standing, or cut or any of my works and improvements, they would immediately conclude that there were people in the place, and would then never give over till they had found me out. In this extremity I went back directly to my castle, pulled up the ladder after me, having made all things without look as wild and natural as I could. Then I prepared myself within, putting myself in a posture of defense. I loaded all my cannon, as I called them, that is to say, my muskets, which were mounted upon my new fortification, and all my pistols, and resolved to defend myself to the last gasp, not forgetting seriously to commend myself to the divine protection, and earnestly to pray to God to deliver me out of the hands of the barbarians. And in this posture I continued about two hours, but began to be mighty impatient for intelligence abroad, for I had no spies to send out. After sitting a while longer and musing what I should do in this case, I was not able to bear sitting in ignorance longer. So setting up my ladder to the side of the hill where there was a flat place, as I observed before, and then pulling the ladder up after me, I set it up again and mounted to the top of the hill, and pulling out my perspective glass, which I had taken on purpose, I laid me down flat on my belly on the ground and began to look for the place. I presently found there was no less than nine naked savages sitting round a small fire they had made, not to warm them, for they had no need of that, the weather being extreme hot, but as I supposed to dress some of their barbarous diet of human flesh, which they had brought with them, whether alive or dead, I could not know. They had two canoes with them, which they had hauled up upon the shore, and as it was then tide of ebb, they seemed to me to wait for the return of the flood to go away again. It is not easy to imagine what confusion this sight put me into, especially seeing them come on my side of the island, and so near me too. But when I observed their coming must be always with the current of the ebb, I began afterwards to be more sedate in my mind, being satisfied that I might go abroad with safety all the time of the tide of flood, if they were not on shore before, and having made this observation, I went abroad about my harvest work with the more composure. As I expected, so it proved. For as soon as the tide made to the westward, I saw them all take boat and row or paddle, as we call it, all away. 
I should have observed that for an hour and more before they went off they went to dancing, and I could easily discern their postures and gestures by my glasses. I could not perceive by my nicest observation, but that they were stark naked and had not the least covering upon them. But whether they were men or women, that I could not distinguish. As soon as I saw them shipped and gone, I took two guns upon my shoulders and two pistols at my girdle, and my great sword by my side, without a scabbard, and with all the speed I was able to make, I went away to the hill, where I had discovered the first appearance of all. And as soon as I got thither, which was not less than two hours, for I could not go apace, being so loaded with arms as I was, I perceived there had been three canoes more of savages on that place, and looking out farther, I saw they were all at sea together, making over for the main. This was a dreadful sight to me, especially when going down to the shore I could see the marks of horror which the dismal work they had been about had left behind it, namely, the blood, the bones, and part of the flesh of human bodies, eaten and devoured by those wretches with merriment and sport. I was so filled with indignation at the sight that I began now to premeditate the destruction of the necks that I saw there, let them be who or how many soever. It seemed evident to me that the visits which they thus made to this island were not very frequent, for it was above fifteen months before any more of them came on shore there again. That is to say, I never saw them, or any footsteps or signals of them in all that time, and I found they did not come in the rainy season. Yet all this, while I lived uncomfortably, by reason of the constant apprehensions I was in, of their coming upon me by surprise. However, I wore out a year and three months more, before I saw any of the savages. But in the month of May, as near as I could calculate, and in my four-and-twentieth year, I had a very strange encounter with them, of which in its place. The perturbation of my mind during this fifteen or sixteen months' interval was very great. In the day great troubles overwhelmed my mind. In the night I dreamed often of killing savages and the reasons why I might justify the doing of it. But, to waive all this for a while, it was the middle of May, on the sixteenth day, I think, that it blew a very great storm of wind all day, with a great deal of lightning and thunder, and a very foul night it was. I know not what was the particular occasion of it, but as I was reading the Bible, and taken up with serious thoughts about my present condition, I was surprised with the noise of a gun, as I thought, fired at sea. This was, to be sure, a surprise of quite a different nature from any I had met with before, for the notions that this put into my thoughts were quite of another kind. I started up in the greatest haste imaginable, and, in a trice, clapped up my ladder in the middle place of the rock, and pulled it after me, and mounting it the second time, got to the top of the hill. That moment a flash of fire bade me listen for a second gun, which, accordingly, in about half a minute I heard, and by the sound knew that it was from that part of the sea where I was driven out with the current in my boat. I immediately considered that this must be some ship in distress, and that they had some comrade or other ship in company, and fired these guns for signals of distress and to obtain help. I had this presence of mind at that minute as to think that though I could not help them, it may be they might help me. So I brought together all the dry wood I could get at hand, and making a good-sized pile, I set it on fire upon the hill. The wood was dry and blazed freely, and though the wind blew very hard, yet it burnt fairly out, so that I was certain if there was any such thing as a ship, they must needs see it, and no doubt they did, for as soon as my fire blazed up, I heard another gun, and after that several others, all from the same quarter. 
I plied my fire all night long till day broke, and when it was broad day and the air cleared up, I saw something at a great distance at sea, full east of the island, whether a sail or a hull. I could not distinguish, no, not with my glasses, the distance was so great, and the weather still being hazy also, at least it was so out at sea. I looked frequently at it all that day, and soon perceived that it did not move. So I presently concluded that it was a ship at anchor, and being eager, you may be sure, to be satisfied, I took my gun in my hand and ran towards the southeast side of the island, to the rocks where I had been formerly carried away with the current, and getting up there, the weather by this time being perfectly clear, I could plainly see, to my great sorrow, the wreck of a ship cast away in the night upon these concealed rocks, which I found when I was out in my boat and which rocks, as they checked the violence of the stream, and made a kind of counter-stream or eddy, were the occasion of my recovering then from the most desperate, hopeless condition that ever I had been in. Thus, what is one man's safety is another man's destruction. For it seems these men, whoever they were, being out of their knowledge, and the rocks being wholly under water, had been driven upon them in the night, the wind blowing very hard at east and east-northeast. Had they seen the island, as I must necessarily suppose, they did not. They must, as I thought, have endeavored to have saved themselves on shore by the help of their boat, but the firing of their guns for help, especially when they saw, as I imagined, my fire, filled me with many thoughts. In the condition I was in, I could do no more than look upon the misery of the poor men and pity them, which had still this good effect on my side, that it gave me more and more cause to give thanks to God who had so happily and comfortably provided for me in my desolate condition, and that of two ships' companies, who were now cast away upon this part of the world, not one life should be spared but mine. I learnt here again to observe that it is very rare the providence of God casts us into any condition of life so low or any misery so great, but we may see something to be thankful for, and may see others worse than ourselves. Such certainly was the case of these men, of whom I could not so much as see room to suppose any of them were saved. Nothing could make it rational so much as to wish or expect that they did not all perish there, except the possibility only of their being taken up by another ship in company. And this was but mere possibility indeed, for I saw not the least signal or appearance of any such thing. I cannot explain by words what a strange longing— or hankering of desires I felt in my soul upon this sight, breaking out sometimes thus, Oh, that there had been but one, or two, nay, but one soul, saved out of the ship, to have escaped to me, that I might have had one companion, one fellow-creature, to have spoken to me, and to have conversed with. In all the time of my solitary life, I never felt so earnest, so strong a desire after the society of my fellow-creatures, or so deep a regret at the want of it. But it was not to be. Either their fate or mine or both forbade it, for till the last year of my being in this island I never knew whether any were saved out of the ship or not, and had only the affliction some days after to see the corpse of a drowned boy washed on shore at the end of the island which was next the shipwreck. He had on a seaman's waistcoat, a pair of open-kneed linen drawers, and a blue linen shirt, but nothing to direct me to guess what nation he was of. 
He had nothing in his pocket but two pieces of eight and a tobacco pipe. The last was of more value to me than the first. It was now calm, and I had a great mind to venture out in my boat to this wreck, not doubting, but I might find something on board that might be useful to me, and possibly there might be yet some living creature on board whose life I might not only save, but might, by saving that life, comfort my own to the last degree. And this thought clung so to my heart that I could not be quiet, night or day, but I must venture out in my boat on board this wreck, and committing the rest to God's providence, I thought the impression was so strong upon my mind that it could not be resisted, that it must come from some invisible direction, and that I should be wanting to myself if I did not go. Under the power of this impression, I hastened back to my castle, prepared everything for my voyage, took a quantity of bread, a great pot of fresh water, a compass to steer by, a bottle of rum, for I had still a great deal of that left, a basket full of raisins, and thus loading myself with everything necessary, I went down to my boat, got the water out of her, and got her afloat, loaded all my cargo in her, and then went home again for more. My second cargo was a great bag full of rice, the umbrella to set up over my head for a shade, another pot full of fresh water, and about two dozen of my small loaves or barley cakes, more than before, and a bottle of goat's milk and a cheese, all which, with great labor and sweat, I brought to my boat, and praying to God to direct my voyage, I put out, and rowing or paddling the canoe along the shore, I came at last to the utmost point of the island on that side, namely northeast and now I was to launch out into the ocean, and either to venture or not venture. I looked on the rapid currents which ran constantly on both sides of the island at a distance, and which were very terrible to me from the remembrance of the hazard I had been in before, and my heart began to fail me. For I foresaw that if I was driven into either of these currents I should be carried a vast way out to sea, and perhaps out of reach or sight of the island again and that as my boat was but small, if any little gale of wind should rise, I should be inevitably lost. These thoughts so oppressed my mind that I began to give over my enterprise, and having hauled my boat into a little creek on the shore, I stepped out and sat me down upon a little spot of rising ground, very pensive and anxious between fear and desire about my voyage, when, as I was musing, I could perceive that the tide was turned, and the flood came on, upon which my going was for so many hours impracticable. Upon this it presently occurred to me that I should go up to the highest piece of ground I could find and observe, if I could, how the sets of the tides or currents lay when the flood came in, that I might judge whether, if I was driven one way out, I might not expect to be driven another way home, with the same rapidness of the currents. This thought was no sooner in my head, but I cast my eye upon a little hill, which sufficiently overlooked the sea both ways, and from whence I had a clear view of the currents or sets of the tide, and which way I was to guide myself in my return. Here I found that as the current of the ebb set out close by the south point of the island, so the current of the flood set in close by the shore of the north side, and that I had nothing to do but to keep to the north of the island in my return, and I should do well enough. Encouraged with this observation, I resolved the next morning to set out with the first of the tide, and reposing myself for that night in the canoe under the great watch-coat I mentioned, I launched out in the morning. I made first a little out to sea, full north, 
till I began to feel the benefit of the current which set eastward, and which carried me at a great rate, and yet did not so hurry me, as the southern side current had done before, and so as to take from me all government of the boat. But, having a strong steerage with my paddle, I went directly for the wreck, and in less than two hours I came up to it. It was a dismal sight to look at. The ship, which by the building was Spanish, stuck fast jammed in between two rocks. All the stern and quarter of her was beaten to pieces with the sea, and as her forecastle, which stuck in the rocks, had run on with great violence, her mainmast and foremast were brought by the board, that is to say, broken short off. But her bowsprit was sound, and the head and bow appeared firm. When I came close to her, a dog appeared upon her, who, seeing me coming, yelped and cried, and as soon as I called him, jumped into the sea to come to me, and I took him into the boat, and found him almost dead for hunger and thirst. I gave him a cake of my bread, and he ate it like a ravenous wolf that had been starving for a fortnight in the snow. I then gave the poor creature some fresh water, with which, if I would have let him, he would have burst himself. After this I went on board. The first sight I met with was two men, drowned in the cook-room or forecastle of the ship, with their arms fast about one another. I concluded, as is indeed probable, that when the ship struck, it being in a storm, the sea broke so high and so continually over her, that the men were not able to bear it, and were strangled with the constant rushing in of the water, as much as if they had been under water. Besides the dog, there was nothing left in the ship that had life, or any goods that I could see but what were spoiled by the water. There were some casks of liquor, whether wine or brandy I knew not, which lay lower in the hold, and which, the water being ebbed out, I could see, but they were too big to meddle with. I saw several chests, which I believe belonged to some of the seamen, and I got two of them into the boat, without examining what was in them. Had the stern of the ship been fixed, and the forepart broken off, I am persuaded I might have made a good voyage, for by what I found in these two chests I had room to suppose the ship had a great deal of wealth on board. And if I may guess by the course she steered, she must have been bound from Buenos Aires, or the Rio de la Plata in the south part of America, beyond the Brazils, to the Havana in the Gulf of Mexico, and so perhaps to Spain. I found besides these chests a little cask full of liquor of about twenty gallons, which I got into my boat with much difficulty. There were several muskets in the cabin, and a great powder-horn with about four pounds of powder in it. As for the muskets, I had no occasion for them, so I left them, but took the powder-horn. I took a fire-shovel and tongs, which I wanted extremely, as also two little brass kettles, a copper pot to make chocolate, and a gridiron, and with this cargo and the dog, I came away, the tide beginning to make home again, and the same evening, about an hour within night, I reached the island again, wearied and fatigued to the last degree. A Candlelight Stories audio production.